you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I trust you're having a great July. We've now passed the six-month mark where we're into the second half of the year. How exciting is that? Well, we're through the holiday, and I trust that you're ready to blast through the rest of this year and into the next year, 2014, and get ready to make it a great one. we got some great questions today. This podcast is going to be brought to you by audiblepodcast.com. And you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days and get a free audio download of a book of your choice. Now, I'm going to give you some suggestions here in a little bit, some specific suggestions. You know how I feel about books, the value they bring to our lives. And I'm going to give you some that you can pick up for free to get you started on that process of listening to or reading great books. Well, I'm going to title our theme today, Stop Wasting Time Throwing Stones. Got a quotation that I'll explain that in a little bit. Some of the questions we'll be covering today. Dan, how does one meet with rich individuals when you're surrounded by a sea of broke folk? Well, we'll have fun unpacking that. How do you do that? Can your job search methods work for people with criminal backgrounds as well as the long-term unemployed? Dan, can I be a health coach if I'm overweight? How can I develop connections that you say are so important if I'm an introvert? After 20 years in my profession, I've been told that my skills are stale. Dan, I've always wanted to start my own business, but the risk to my family scares my wife and me. Now, we could take any one of those and just park on it for the entire podcast. We're going to just run through those. Sometimes I question giving such brief answers to such complex complex questions but um, seems to keep working well and hopefully over time we piece together more and more information on any given situation and by just talking about these together we can unleash our own success taking us to a higher level well the quotation we've got for today comes from church from winston churchill who said you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks Now think about that a minute. I mean, think about being out on a walk or riding your bike. Dogs come out, they distract you. They take you away from focusing on where you're going and what you're doing, don't they? Well, in essence, we have a lot of dogs barking around us, especially if you've chosen to be on this path toward extraordinary success. You've got a whole lot of dark barking dogs around you. People who are trying to pull you back down to their level. So the barking dogs may be yeah, other people who are trying to distract you. Maybe a job that seemingly is holding you back. It may be circumstances in which you live right now that may seem to be holding you back. Well, don't spend a lot of time dealing with the barking dogs. Focus on what it is you're headed toward, not what you're headed away from. That's the way we want to go. Let's get right into the questions today. This one comes from Forrest, Tallahassee. says, Dan, thanks so much for delivering a message of hope. It's so needed today. I come from a family that valued faith and love but struggled financially. I now see myself as the captain of a ship headed in the same direction. You often teach about how our outcomes can be associated with the company we keep. 
As I look around at the individuals in my inner circle, I truly believe that it needs a renovation. My relationship 101 question then is, how does one that is surrounded by a sea of broke folk meet and fellowship with financially sound individuals? Well, Forrest, your question is one that we hear a lot. In 48 Days to the Work You Love, I've got a 48-day schedule right in the front of the book. Day 47, the instruction is take a millionaire to lunch. And I have more people stumble on that than anything else I recommend that they do. Gee, how can I do that? How could I possibly take a millionaire to lunch? Well, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do. I'll give you just a few here real quickly. Incidentally, as I'm speaking, I can hear earth movers moving dirt. It's just across the woods on the backside of our property. And on the other side, Luke Bryan, if you recognize that name, is a young country music singer. He just purchased 120 acres and he's building a 20 acre lake. So for months, we've had earth movers working almost day and night but the big belly scrapers with caterpillars behind them digging dirt out to build Luke his 10-acre lake. And then he and his wife are building their new house that overlooks that, and then a guest house that overlooks a one-acre catfish pond. Now, there's an example. I mean, I can walk over there because we're neighbors, and he happens to be somebody who is a fairly recent millionaire, but obviously has done really well with country music. I mean, there are people like that all around you. Now, yes, I know I live in Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, and there seems to be an inordinate number of people who have done really well around here. But I'm sure that's true with wherever you live as well, where you can just find those people. I had a lunch um, two days ago with a young guy who manages the farm for Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Again, some superstars that have done uh, quite well, to say the least. They just bought an island down in the Bahamas, and they're diverting some of their attention down there. Thus, their farm is going to be for sale. But I've been friends for years with the the gentleman who manages their farm. And we can go out there anytime. We've been out there many times where we go out and hang around. And yeah, Tim and Faith you know, do spend time on the farm. It's now for sale, incidentally, $20 million, just some loose change if you're in the market for a, a nice farm with its own lake and all the other assets that go with it. There's actually seven property, seven houses on the property. But uh, anyway, let me just give you some points for how you can get around millionaires, spend time with them, and it's really not that complicated. Attend book signings. I mean, I recently attended a book signing for Michael Hyatt's book, got to meet Stu McLaren, Ken Davis, and a whole bunch of other top business leaders from the community here. Cost to attend that? Nothing. I mean, nothing at all. I mean, these are not, you don't have to be a millionaire to associate with millionaires and learn from them, learn from their ways. And I do believe that's an important principle to elevate our own success. Watch for business breakfast. I attend probably a couple a month. They're free because they're sponsored by local businesses. Our local entrepreneur center provides a monthly entrepreneur's coffee, a monthly coffee meetup for Nashville's business leaders to network and hear stories about entrepreneurship and starting businesses. No charge to attend. Just show up, rub shoulders with those kind of people. Lunch and learn events. Now, we have a lot of them here, so I'm familiar with this area, but I'm sure they're available wherever you live. 
look for those. Here we have the Scarlet Leadership Center as one example. They provide monthly lunch and learn leadership events free to anyone who wants to hang around leaders and high achievers. I mean, join your local chamber of commerce. Become a member of your local Rotary Club. Rotary Club traditionally is people who are high-level professionals who are doing really well. Attend concerts. Again, here in Nashville, we have multiple free concerts in every, any given week. Um, spend time at the country club. I mean, I've talked before about the fact that I eat lunch a couple times a week at the Legends Country Club, the Vanderbilt Golf Club here. I am not a golfer, but I simply choose to eat lunch there because of the people who are there rather than going and listening to the mall employees complain about the economy and who's in the White House. I go, you know, eat lunch around people who are thinking positively, people who are leaders, people like, well, Daryl Waltrip is there pretty much every day but and and again that's something that cost me zero that costs nothing it's just registering as a dining club member now i don't know if that's true where you live but again there's something like that that's available wherever you are listen to podcasts listen to my buddy john dumas with his entrepreneurship entrepreneur on fire podcast Listen to that. He interviews really successful people. Those people give you their personal contact information time after time after time. He does an interview every day. Those people, almost without exception, tell you their personal contact information. It's amazing. Listen to uh, Jamie Tardy with Eventual Millionaire podcast. I'll put the notes to those in our podcast notes today so you can click right through to those. You can do everything I've listed here long before you are a millionaire. I mean, see, the common mistake is thinking that we have to have and then we become. No, if that were true, you know, lottery winners would be grateful, respectful, continue in success. Rather, we observe that most of them are angry and broke about three years later. But if you learn to be, then you can have. It goes in that order. That's how you ought to look at it incidentally if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days they'll tell you that you can get a free audio download get think and grow rich by napoleon hill get the strangest secret by earl nightingale i mean those are old classics to help shape your thinking i really do believe that you become a millionaire by thinking like a millionaire before the money ever shows up It's the thinking that makes people wealthy, not some lucky inheritance or some fortunate business venture. It's the thinking that predisposes people to become millionaires. Reef Steve Steve Siebold's material on how rich people think. Well, let let me move on. Kyle from Akron, Ohio says, I work in a social services center and I'm a huge fan of your books. I work with a program transitioning people out of generational and situational poverty. My question is, can your job search methods work for people with criminal backgrounds as well as the long-term unemployed? Do you have any advice for these people who have a more difficult time with their job search? Well, Kyle, thanks for your work. I really understand what it is that you're doing. And yes, I'm, I'm a real optimist in that arena. I mean, I, we've done a lot of work with people coming out of the prison system Uh, Joanne, my wife, is specifically connected with the Tennessee Prison for Women here, TPW, where they at any given time have about 850 women behind bars. And yeah, slowly some of those are 
released. And we know well, no one will rent them an apartment. No one will sell them a car. No one will give them a job. They have a whole lot of obstacles. But you know what? Here, here's a, Let me preface it by this. When Thomas Stanley wrote his book, The Millionaire Mind, he looked at people who were worth at least $10 million or more and said, what is it that is the common characteristic of these people who end up extremely wealthy? The one thing that is the common characteristic is that they simply love what they're doing. Now, here's how they end up there. Those who are worth at least $10 million or more who graduated from college and that number being fairly small have an average GPA of 2.7. That means they didn't do real well. But here's the irony in that. If somebody graduates from college and they get a 4.0, they're invited to go to graduate school. Geez, you've got the academic ability, so you need to go to medical school, law school, dental school, pharmacology, something, because you have the academic ability. Guess what happens to those poor suckers who have a 2.7 GPA? They don't get invited to those fancy graduate schools. And you know what happens? A lot of times they figure out a much more authentic fit and somehow an integration of their passion and unique talents, and they knock it out of the park in terms of how they're successful. So when we have people who come out of prison, yeah, they've got a lot of obstacles against them. You know what? If they think creatively, they can use those very obstacles that keep them from just going and getting normal jobs to open the door to extraordinary success. That means they tend to do better in entrepreneurial ventures. I spoke recently at the Tennessee prison for women and I, you know, told the gals there, I said, you know, your creativity is what you got, what got you here to start with. And they all giggled and poked each other. And I said, what if you took that creativity and focused it in a positive way? Think what you could do. Think about the unique things that you could do out here that are not being done well, new things that you could start and you could unlock success for you that most people never experience. Now, that we, we know that's true for people who are coming out of prison. For one thing, they don't tend to do very well in traditional jobs. You put them in a cubicle and tell them you'll pay them 10 bucks an hour. Yeah, they're going to sabotage that system real quickly. Many of them were used to big chunks of money, although they attained that illegally in their previous days. But they're still used to doing something that has a big payoff and just getting a traditional job violates that and many of them become very very bored and very very attracted to things that again are illegal what if we could teach them how to use those same attractions the same characteristics that they have personally and just focus it in more legitimate ways and there's that's where we find the best opportunities for those who were previously in prison prison entrepreneurship programs pep i mean that's where the revolution is taking place. I mean, we've got programs out there to treat the drug challenges that a lot of prisoners had, and we're going to teach them to be good citizens. We teach them how to do a resume and get a job. And you know what? The recidivism rate, you know, where they end up back in prison again, is like 85%. When we teach them entrepreneurship skills, the recidivism rate is as low as 8%. And the employment rate, more than 80% within 30 days of release. Now you can, I'll put some links in the podcast notes about this as well. 
There's a lot of information about this. Texas is the most successful state with their PEP, Prison Entrepreneurship Program. They have phenomenal success stories about what they're doing with former inmates. So yes, the principles in 48 days will work. No question about it. We hear lots of stories from former inmates that they do work. If somebody is long-term unemployed, that you mentioned as well, Kyle, in your note, the same kind of thing. We have to break out of the pattern of doing things the same way that everybody else is doing it. And certainly I talk about that in 48 days, how to do a job search that most people never do, how to make yourself a top candidate, how to get attention when other people get lost in the mass of submitted resumes. Yeah, there's a whole lot of things in there they can do. But also, you might want to introduce those people to no more dreaded Mondays because that talks more about how to take an idea and turn it into a real business. I'll have some of those links in the podcast notes for you. Thanks for your question. Hey, I want to let you know about a particularly special event we've got coming up here. You know, as we reach the end of the year, we've got a lot of people just not sure about what 2014 is going to hold, how they're going to maximize their own success. We're going to be doing something that I never did before, and it's just kind of a fun thing. I a lot of times like to try new prototypes, as you well know, but we're going to do something that is going to be delivered as a teleseminar, but it's going to be in two parts and it's going to be a 48 days challenge. Now here's how it's going to work next Thursday, July 18th at seven o'clock central time. You're going to be able to, we're going to be able to come together and I'm going to go through the principles in 48 days. Now, as part of that, you're going to get the 48 days to the work you love application guide. Now, this is the workbook that's only available in the seminar kit that's fairly expensive. This is going to be a $20 deal all the way through. So we're, I'm going to go through the principles in there. You're going to be able to submit questions. You're going to get the stories from Dan. You're going to be able to um, listen to both of these teleseminars. And the way we're going to do it is one on July 18th and then a follow-up 48 days later on September 4th. So we can then hear your success. What have you done? What were you able to do in the 48 days? I'm jazzed about it. Again, it's going to be 20 bucks and you're going to get way more than that in materials, let alone the two teleseminars we're going to be doing. Check out 48days.com forward slash 48 day challenge. Again, that website is 48days.com forward slash 48 day challenge. Let me see what you can do. Sophia from Knoxville says, I'm a registered dietitian. I'm very good at my job teaching people to eat healthy. I get positive feedback from bosses and clients. I believe I make a difference. Some clients say I've changed their lives, but I feel like I need to find a different career. Why? Because I'm overweight and feel increasingly embarrassed about it. I always struggled with my weight, but it is worse after having children, various injuries, and fighting depression. I feel hopeless. It hurts to think that people probably laugh when they find out what I do and see how overweight I am. It keeps me from getting involved in my children's school and our community, even though nutrition is a hot topic these days and I could make a difference there. Any advice is appreciated. I know lose weight, but easier said than done. Should I find a new career? Sophia, my advice is no, don't go find a new career. Now here's why. Your feelings of being embarrassed and feeling hopeless are going to go with you and keep you from being your best at whatever you do. 
So just be honest about those feelings. Be open with people you work with, but also be committed to become the very best you can be, whatever that means. Now, you, you don't have to be perfect to be a coach. Trust me, if that were true, you know, I certainly wouldn't be a coach. Do I coach people into areas of excellence that I've not done personally? Sure, there are a lot of things clients want to do that are not passions of mine. I can help them anyway as a coach. You can do that too. You just have to be able to ask the right questions to help somebody toward their goals. Now, a couple tips here. You can do a lot as a health coach where you don't meet with people face to face. Now, think about some of the things that I do. I write books, I write ebooks, I write articles in magazines, I do podcasts like this, I do interviews. Those are things where people never see me at all. Now, this is not just about being deceitful, not at all. It's just that you can do those things with your head held high, with the knowledge that you have as a health coach, where you're giving lots of information and coaching people effectively. You could have a Q&A site where people can submit questions and you can answer those. So there are a lot of things you can do where what, how you are, how you look physically that is a concern of yours is really not even an issue. If you're working with people individually, does being overweight hurt your credibility? Yes. But, I mean, think about it. There's a whole lot of doctors out there who smoke and are overweight or are telling their patients to quit smoking and get on a diet. But I would encourage you to stay in your area of expertise. Use your passion there to discover what you do need to do to be healthier. You might discover a unique tool or motivation that will inspire others. You know, something that just helps you. I mean, Joy and my wife struggled with her weight for years and years and years. And she's been on every diet known to man. Two years ago, she lost 40 pounds after reading a book. The book was titled, had nothing to do with diet or health. The book was titled, When Helping Others is Hurting You by Dr. David Hawkins. She read the book. I mean, she would sit in her chair in our living room and just sit there weeping as she read the book realizing that how much of her desire to help other people was sabotaging her own personal goals. It was a, an amazingly healthy transformation for her. And I asked her, I says, honey, you've been on every diet there is, you know, how has this been different? And she cried when she answered me. It still touches me when I think about it. She said, because I'm doing it for me. I said, are you kidding me? Just know all these years, you know, I tried to lose weight for you, for other people who expected me to look great. You know, I was doing it with all the wrong reasons. She said, I am doing this for me. And it was a transformational in what it did for her. There may be something that you discover in what you're doing that is your tool that'll be a great inspiration to other people. But no, I say stay in your area of expertise and passion. Be great at it, even in spite of and during your personal challenges. I mean, the way we, we learn something best is to teach it. So you can have a great time learning what will work ultimately for you, even as you're teaching other people. Well, Adam from Rapid City, South Dakota says, I'm looking at operating, at opening a winemaking business in town in the next couple months because I like to make wine and think it would be something new and fun for people in our community to do. It's not a winery. People would select a wine, mix it up with my help, add the yeast, and then come back in a month or two to bottle the wine. 
We'd come up with a unique labels for weddings, reunions, and other events, as well as just for personal consumption. I'm hoping to advertise before we open to at least get customers signed up on a mailing list, maybe set up appointments to make a certain kind of wine. Do you have any suggestions on how to get out there before I have many of the details finalized? Thanks for the podcast, everything else you do. Well, Adam, I think it's a cool idea, but I think you're going after a a really small targeted market because you're identifying people who are interested enough to invest the time and energy to have a special blend of wine, but they aren't going to just do it themselves. I mean, it's really not too complicated. We have lots of friends who, who do their own wine. And then we sample, you know, the new products that they have, the new blends that they have. If I had any interest at all in that, I'd probably just do that myself. So I, I think you're, you've got a really tight niche here of people that you're going to have enough interest to do what you're talking about. However, can you promote that in advance? Sure. I mean, go to local wineries, you know, tell them what you're going to don't think of them as competition. Think of them as, as referral sources for you. Hang around other people. I mean, here you can go out to Arrington Vineyards, just about three miles from my house here. It's uh, Kix Brooks's um, newest venture, and it's really rocking on Friday nights. They have live music out there, and you're going to be hanging around a whole lot of people who enjoy wine, are buying wines, are experimenting, are open to the idea that you're talking about. Boy, I'd mill around a crowd like that, be telling them what you're doing, hand out business cards. I mean, those are the kind of places. Go where people who are hanging out already who would be good prospects for you. Let them know what you're doing. Paul says, uh, from New York, greetings, Dan. You've occasionally mentioned that you are essentially an introvert. Now, this is an interesting question. Recently, you mentioned during a podcast that although you are introverted, you understand the value of relationships and being connected. I think I have allowed my introversion to be a barrier to being connected. Do you have any suggestions? I honestly think there are two things at work here, introversion and subsequently underdeveloped social skills. Thanks for everything you do and you and your team do. Incidentally, I have become more active recently in 48days.net. Really appreciate the people there. Well, interesting question, Paul. I think, you know, a lot of what I talk about is being true to yourself. Know thyself and to thine own self be true. As Shakespeare talks about, then thou canst not be false to any man. Well, know yourself and to thine own self be true. So you don't have to change who you are if you recognize how you function best. But then balance your time accordingly. Now, as an introvert, I spend probably 85% of my time totally alone. So I'm writing thinking, even doing podcasts like this, reviewing questions. You know, those are the things that take up about 85% of my time. The other 15%, I spend speaking, doing interviews, having lunches with people, those kind of things that put me in social situations. If I were in social situations, 85% of the time, I would be emotionally drained, emotionally depleted. But spending a great deal of time, the large proportion of time, in solitude allows me to be energized when I then engage with people. And I have people, I mean, I I have people who comment on, you know, what a great listener I am and what a great person I am to, to have at parties and all of that. I mean, that's not where I function best or could function for the biggest percentage of time. But because I understand that those are important connections, sure, 
I mean, I can do that and have a lot of fun doing that. I look forward to things when we're going to be out, when I know it's a, a brief, limited amount of time. Sure. But you can do the same. Yes, connections are important. I don't think being an introvert implies having poor social skills. You can learn the importance of remembering somebody's name when you shake hands, the importance of looking them right in the eye, the importance of, you know, the kind of conversation that you initiate, being a good listener. And you can learn selling skills if you're an introvert. You can learn great social skills. So I don't think those are causations in terms of being correlated. I think that you can have great social skills even if you are an introvert. Now, again, you know that I've mentioned a couple free books that you can go get for you, the book I would recommend. And again, just jump on audiblepodcast.com forward slash 48 days and you can pick up a free book for you. I'm going to recommend Susan Cain's book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. It is a wonderful book. I took it, uh, when I first read that, I took it on a, a weekend when we were down at Dave and Sharon Ramsey's Lake House. I must have had eight people in the course of the two days down there ask me about the book because they just saw what I was reading who then jumped on and got it themselves. I mean, everybody knows people who are more comfortable as introverts. Yes, the whole world tries to push us to all to be introverts, to be cheerleaders, to be Robin Williams, you know, out there at the center of attention. But obviously, a whole lot of us are not. Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. A great book to help you understand and leverage your introversion. Great question. Well, hey, just to note, I ought to remind everybody that uh, this is Dan Miller in the 48 Days podcast, uh, taking questions from you, the listeners, which I absolutely love reviewing every week, whether those come in in the audio format that you can do using SpeakPipe on our link from the podcast page or just writing it out, which most of you do. But you can go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you'll see an opportunity there to Leave your podcast question, which I value and appreciate you being so open and sharing your concerns in ways that we can discuss them and all go to higher levels of success together. Well, Karen from uh, West Virginia says, I'm 50 something. I've been unemployed for four months now. I'm struggling to find a job in my current profession. After 20 years in my profession, I've been told that my skills are stale. That hurt Honestly, I'm not sure I want to continue in my current profession. To be honest, it bores me, but it's allowed me to make a six-figure salary. Because my funds are running low, I worry about quickly taking a job in my current profession just to bring in money. I've struggled to nail down my passion and turn that passion into an income source. I want what I'm passionate about to sustain me into retirement since I have no retirement income saved. I definitely want something I can do anywhere so that I don't have to go into a building. I feel desperate. Well, Karen, you don't describe here what your profession is or what your passion is. So we've got a lot of unknown, but you present somewhat of a catch 22. You want the income of your profession, but don't enjoy the work. In this particular position that you describe yourself, unemployed for four months, money running low, get a job, get in your profession, get a job. There's nothing wrong with taking another job for the short term. But you don't have to ever see it in the same way again. You can recognize this is not your long-term 
goal. This is not your long-term passion. But taking a job there right now, that's not just caving in or cutting off following your passion. Just see it as a reasonable vehicle to allow you to continue developing your passion. So view it in that way. Yes, you're going to go do that. Yes, you know you can make reasonable income there. I knew a lady one time who had her PhD in plant pathology. Well, she wasn't real thrilled about the kind of research positions that had been opened up to her because of doing that. But ultimately, I recommended she continue doing that, at least get a job immediately. She was without a job. She needed to get a job. That was the most marketable skill she had, having a PhD in plant pathology. Position her for very high-end kind of positions, very niche positions. Very few people are going to have her academic qualifications to come into that position. So yeah, go ahead and do that. But that doesn't mean you're stuck. A lot of times when we go through transitions, we realize, wow, what I've been doing is not really what I want to do. But you know what? For the short term, we need to go ahead and continue doing what we have been doing because it is our most identifiable and marketable skill. But you can go back into it knowing that you'll never view that job the same way again. It's not your dream job, but it's a reasonable vehicle to allow you then to develop where you want to be ultimately. A lot of times when we talk about you know, the kind of things you want to move into that would engage your passion, your talents, your personality traits, and all those things we want to blend and bring together and integrate. There's a ramp up time. There's a reasonable starting time. It's not the kind of thing. If you say, oh man, I'm one of those 81% of Americans who wants to write a book. I got a book inside me. I know it's there. I want to get my book going. Fantastic. You know when you're likely to see income from the book that you start writing today? Two years from now, that's pretty typical, the lead time from when you start to write a book, from when you're going to start to see any reasonable income, if you see income at all from writing a book, two years. So don't just stop everything else and do that. No, write in your discretionary time. Find those 10 to 15 hours a week where you work on that book. You're pulling it together. You're excited because you have the emotional energy because you're not in a position of desperation. You're still paying the bills. But now instead of seeing your job as the only thing or the most important thing in your life, no, it's this book you're writing, what you're going to share with the world. You're excited about it. You're talking to other writers. You're going to book signings. You're going to book launches. You're seeing the creative things that can be done to get you in the game. I mean, those are the things that energize you. That can pull you forward, even if you're in a job that you're less than thrilled about. Not an unreasonable method at all. Kate from Maine says, Dan, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now. You've given me the confidence to start working on my own business. I love baking and I've come up with several recipes for gluten-free cookies. I'm doing some test marketing by selling them at the office where I work. People love them. and I can't bake enough. There are two problems. One, I'm a single mom and already I'm tired without adding in starting a new business. And two, as much as I love baking, I can't see myself doing production work eight hours a day. I love the creation of recipes and making specialty items like cakes. My original idea was to start a cookie business, but now I'm not sure. I want to keep moving forward, but I feel stuck. Help. Kate, I love what you're talking about doing. And yes, I think in this kind of business, you have to do it all initially. But as soon as you have a little bit of success, you can easily get help in the production part. 
Your specialized value will be in coming up with appealing names for your product and then promoting and selling. I mean, my daughter, Ashley, this last weekend sold fudge for the very first time in her life at her community farmer's market. So the community all got together. I think it was at the Ag Center and they had, everybody had a little booth to sell their things. She had her own fudge. She was so excited, had her little girls help her in the making of that. But they came up with really cool labels. They wrapped it in the wrapping paper that we use to pack books when we send them out and then tied it with string. So it was really appealing packaging. She made up this great little label, called it Fantasy Fudge. And she, in essence, realized she can make $95 an hour selling her fudge. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, she was so pumped after having done that. Now, she's not looking to go into that full time. I mean, I keep her pretty busy in the things that she does for 48 days. But just recognizing that there's a market that people love something you made. I mean, what a great feeling to know that if, in fact, her fantasy fudge takes off. Is she going to spend eight hours a day working in the kitchen stirring? No, she's going to get somebody to make that where she just shows up, picks it up. There's somehow a share of revenue, obviously, in that. But the real money comes from selling something, not in making it always. It's easy to get people to make something. It's easy to find competent cooks working a kitchen with you. And I know another lady who who does big quantities of brownies, cookies and cakes that are sold to local restaurants and bakeries. She has a commercial kitchen. She has about seven wonderful ladies that meet her there every morning. They're faithful workers. Uh, they don't get paid a whole lot. She does extremely well. It's her business. I won't tell you the name after I've told you the details of that, but that's how you approach this. I mean, Christy cookies. I mean, uh, when, when he's first started making those cookies, he made them himself, took them to work just as you're describing But when he saw the response to those, man, he turned that into this amazing business. Does he spend eight hours a day slaving over a hot stove? No, trust me, he doesn't. So just see this as the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg. If you build a name for yourself with the great cookies, gluten-free, which is a hot topic right now, cookies that you're making, fantastic. But don't think that you're locked into just doing the business yourself over time. You might want to pick up a copy of Michael Gerber's book, The Entrepreneur Myth, because that's what he talks about in there. A lot of people who have something they do really well start a business doing that. Well, six months later, they realize all they're doing is just slaving in the business. They created a job for themselves. What he talks about is learning how to work on your business rather than just in your business. That's really the key transition we're talking about here. So you don't get trapped in working in your business, but you know how to step back, work on it. That's where you're designing new labels, coming up with new names, developing new recipes, those kind of things. You don't have to get stuck in the working in. That's an easier thing to take care of. Well, I got an audio question here. Let's listen to this and we'll handle that. Hi, Dan. My name is Gayon. Um, I recently became a follower of your, uh, sort of like a mentee of yours since November um, from a friend who let me know about your book, 48 Days, read your material, loved it, read Wisdom Meets Passion, loved it even more, and um, currently just loving your 48 Days community. My question is, is for someone like me who hopes to become a full-time speaker, and a coach and a writer, um, I'm trying to see how I can put all of these resources that you have available and into a phased 
um, business plan, but not just a business plan, but like phased action steps, what would be your guidance for someone like me who's using your free resources and buying your material, but then also trying to use other free resources out there? And, and I kind of need more of like a comprehensive map or a compass of, you know, what phase of my business plan am I working on? Am I, you know, am I still trying to... Am I still in business planning mode or am I marketing mode or am I in just putting myself out there? You know, just something like that. Someone who, like me who's still an amateur to this entrepreneurial uh, venture. Thank you so much. Bye. Well, great question. And you mentioned in there speaking, writing, and coaching, which are the three favorite things that I do. But when I started my business, coaching is the one that can generate income most quickly. Speaking takes a long time. Writing, I just talked about that. It takes a very long time. Coaching, you can do tomorrow. If you promote yourself as a coach, have somebody who wants to engage with you, boom, you work with them, they write you a check. So what do you think I did at the front end of my business 90% of the time? Coaching. I mean, that's what I did. I was coaching people five days a week because that was the immediate income generator. So I think you ought to look at your business, look at the long term, where you want to be three years from now, how you'd like to have developed your writing, speaking, product development, other things that you may do, affiliate relationships, live events. I mean, those are things that I have as part of my business model, but those are things that did not hap happen immediately. Those came into view over a period of time and actually several years but the coaching was the thing that I could do immediately that created instant income so that I would have cash flow to continue doing what I wanted to do. So I would look at it like that. Get a clear view, map it out, look at like the Venn diagram that I use with all the different components in it that I have in, in my business. You can do the same for years, seeing, visualizing where you want to be three years from now, but then ask yourself, what do I have to do today so that I make X number of dollars? If you have a benchmark of income, Let's say that you need to make $4,000 a month. Well, then just look at, okay, how can I make $4,000 this month in July? How can I do that? And that is going to likely come from coaching or consulting, doing something that is immediate. Now, you may get a speaking engagement that's a couple months out, so you start to put that in place. Most speaking engagements though, are booked 6 to 12, actually 6 to 18 months out. So those are going to take a while. If you're going to write, yes, you can do something. You can write something this weekend, put it up as an ebook, or put it on uh, Amazon as a Kindle product. You can do that. We have stories. And Andy, Andy Traub had a story just recently. He wrote his little book, Early to Rise, and in the first 90 days made over $20,000. Uh, did that really quickly. You can do that with some of the ways of getting your writing out there now, but just map your things step by step by step. When Dave Ramsey and I sit down and, and mapped out what we want our businesses to look like, this is 22 years ago now. I mean, we saw all the things that we're doing, but we both recognized we couldn't do everything immediately. Dave already had a vision of the, what is now Financial Peace University. You know, he already had a vision of all the other components, having employees and all that. And we both agreed that, you know, we can't do that instantly. We have to build on the success of individual coaching, which is what both of us did initially to then give us a foundation so we could move into the other parts of our business. Sounds great. I, I'm sure you'll have lots of success with that. A lot of opportunities in all the things that you mentioned. Well, Trey says, I'm looking forward to attending the Innovate event in September. Now, Innovate, you've heard me talk about that. I just added some more information on that. If you go to innovate2013.com, 
It'll take you right to the site and show the event we've got coming up in September that so many people are talking about. Um, we're going to have people like Michael Hyatt speak, Chad Jeffers, who's with guitarist with Carrie Underwood. Scott Stearman's going to be here. That's the piece that I just added. I put up a little piece about Scott Stearman, who's an internationally known sculptor, and how he's going to be here and start at the beginning of the event on Thursday morning, and in the course of the two days, sculpt a totally original 48 Days Eagle. I'm so jazzed about that. I can't sleep at night. But I got that information up there. So you can go check out Innovate2013.com. Love to see you here. Trey says he's going to be coming in September. Trey says I found a quiet cottage out in Leaper's Fork that will be my sanctuary while visiting Tennessee. I remember you saying that you used to assist Dave Ramsey with his HR stuff, but that was years ago. Yes, it was. I used to interview every person that was coming on as a candidate to be hired with Dave. That that doesn't happen anymore with 380 people. Um, uh, that was a little uh, more commitment than what I was looking for. I think I was doing that up until I got about 45 people. Trey says, I applied for a position with his company. When I read the job description, I got a huge smile and said to myself, yes, I would love this job. My question is, should I use the 48 days method for the Lampo group or is his process so lengthy and thorough that it would not matter? I know the usual answer from your podcast, but Dave's company is run a little differently than most and wanted your insight. Well, yes, the 48 days principles. Yeah. I mean, lots of people there. If you go up and down the halls, there are a whole lot of those 380 people will tell you they use the principles right out of 48 days to get exactly where they are. So yes, because we talk about things that are innovative, things that will get you noticed when other people are bypassed. How to position yourself as a top candidate, how to, what to do in the first three minutes of an interview with them. I mean, all those things are in the 48 days job search, certainly. However, I've got another piece of information for you that I'm really excited about sharing. And that is two weeks ago in the Entree Leadership podcast that Dave's team does, Chris Hogan hosts that. He interviewed Rick Perry, who is the human resource director at Dave's company. Rick's a great guy. We've been friends well, ever since he's been there. I think he's been there about 10 or 11 years, perhaps. Rick was interviewed and he shared really openly about their hiring process, what they look for, how people do become top candidates consideration. I listened to it and I sent him an email instantly. I said, Rick, I cannot thank you enough because there have been so many people over the years that come to me and ask me, gee, how can I get hired? You know, will you put in a good word for me? Dave Ramsey. I'm, I can now direct people to this podcast. I'll put the link right to that, but it's in one of the last two podcasts. If you go to DaveRamsey.com entree leadership podcast, again, I'll put that in the podcast notes. You can link right to it. But listen to the interview with Rick Perry, human resource director at, at Dave's. And I know a whole lot of the rest of you are, are going to rush to that as well because he did a really great job of just laying out some of the unique things that are required if you're going to get a job at that organization. Well, here's a question from um, John Doe from Timbuktu. Okay, obviously this is one where the person asked to conceal his name and where he was from. You know, Timbuktu, I know that's a, a real place somewhere. I just saw somebody who just joined 48days.net was from Abid, Abidjan CI. And I thought, what is that? And I had to look it up. Well, it's on the Ivory Coast of Africa. CI, a lot of things in Africa, they actually have what we would expect 
the proper order is reversed. So it's Coast Ivory, CI, but it's not the abbreviation for China. But I had to look it up to see what is that. Well, anyway, we'll go with John Doe wants to know. I found your podcast a month ago and I'm hooked. I always wanted to have my own business, but the risk to my family scares my wife and me. I write computer software, websites, mobile apps for a living. So I'd love to get into doing that privately, but I don't know how to find clients and worry that branching out on my own could leave our family in a tight place. As a young father of four, should family come before pursuing a dream? Any advice for this programmer? Well, boy, what a great way you frame that. Should family come before pursuing a dream? Absolutely. Do you have to choose? Absolutely not. You can be the best daddy, the best provider, the best being available and also pursue your dream. As a matter of fact, that's how I see it work best. This morning, I listened to Pat Flynn's podcast, Smart Passive Income. And he talked about the fact if he had not gotten laid off, he'd probably still be an architect in a firm somewhere. He would enjoy the work and he'd still be a good dad, but he would never have been able to be available for his children like he is being self-employed as an entrepreneur. And certainly he would not have the financial resources as an employed architect that he has today as a self-employed entrepreneur. So I think you can do both. But now here's really the crux of your question, John. And that is, you talk about the risk of starting your own business. Let's kill that word. Risk implies that you have no control. That's what it means. So if you go to Las Vegas and you put the deed to your house down on a roll of the dice, yeah, that's risky. No entrepreneur does that. That's what stupid people do. That's what lottery players do. They risk things in areas where they have no control. People who start businesses don't do that. If you carefully design a business plan and you start on the side, which you can do with everything that you're describing, you don't have to rent a, a building somewhere, hire employees. You can start doing what you're doing on the side. My goodness, get to a point where you're where you're already initiating, you're already developing, say, half of the income that you get in your current job. I mean, that would be where you can then make a transition with very little risk. Don't risk, just plan and execute. Plan and execute. Risk is what silly people do. That's not what we do as business owners. You can build right up to what you want without risking anything. Well, recap. How does one meet rich individuals when you're surrounded by a sea of broke folk? Hang out in the places where rich folk hang out. You can do that. Uh, can you turn your job search methods into a way that works for people who have recently been in prison? Yeah, absolutely. But there's some other things that are real keys for those people. Can I be a health coach if I'm overweight? Yeah, absolutely. Just see it as your best opportunity to get healthy yourself as you're teaching others. Well, you've heard the other questions here. We're out of time. Remember, Winston Churchill said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Well, we have been taking care of business right here. Thanks for being part of this amazing community. Check out the activity at 48days.net. Check out Innovate 2013. We'd love to meet you here in our property. Thanks for being part of this crowd where we are finding or developing work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less. Have a great week.